This morning, if you would, please turn your Bibles to the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 4. And this morning, we're looking at verses 2 through 4. For those of you who are here and have not been here before, what we're doing is working through the book of Colossians. We are coming to the tail end of the chapter of the book. Um, and we're looking at it verse by verse, trying to understand the original context and trying to apply that for us today. This morning, Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 4, the word of God reads as followed. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Let's pray. Father, we come to you again with thankful hearts. We ask that as your word goes forward, that you would take it and produce fruit in the lives of the hearers. If there be anyone here who does not know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, we pray that this would be the day of salvation for them. Holy Spirit, you have the power to grip the hearts of men and women. And we pray that you would do so today. We love you and praise you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The title of today's sermon is How to Pray for Revival. How to Pray for Revival. And I'll tell you why I came to that title as we look at our text. It was Jay Hudson Taylor who said this, in every great work of God, there are three stages. First, it is impossible. Second, it is difficult. And third, it is done. Amen? First, it is impossible. Then it's difficult. And then it's done. And so this morning, as we look at our text and we consider the topic of revival and the need for us to pray for it, I want us to start with the foundation of knowing this is impossible without the help of the Lord. And this is difficult even with the help of the Lord, but even in our working on behalf of the Lord with the word of God, there comes a point where we look back and we say, it is done. And we say, look at what God did. And we give him the praise and the glory. And so as we look at our text this morning, we see first that Paul reminds these believers, and he does more than just remind them, he actually commands them of the importance of individual prayer and corporate prayer. So big picture, we're dealing with the topic of prayer. And then we're dealing with the topic of prayer with regards to revival and reformation and evangelism. And so keep all those words in your mind as we look at them. And so today, Paul, through the scriptures, if we're going to see revival in our lives and in our land, we, know, we must be a people committed to prayer, committed to prayer. And so I want to define our terms. What is prayer? Good definition for prayer. This is from Westminster Confession of Faith. It says this, and there are others that are just as good, but this says, prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God, in the name of Christ, with the help of the Spirit, 
with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. So we see an offering up of our desires to God in the name of Christ with the help of his spirit, with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. Next, I wanted to find revival. What is revival? C.H. Spurgeon defines revival in this way. He says the word revive may be interpreted thus, to live again, to receive again a life which has almost expired, to rekindle into a flame the vital spark which has nearly extinguished, which has nearly extinguished. The idea of revival is an awakening of men to their spiritual concerns. This is the work of the Holy Spirit as he brings new, a new sense of vitality and devotion to the things of God. And so we talked about prayer. We defined revival. Next, I want to define reformation. What is reformation? So revival is this idea of a spiritual awakening of the spiritual conditions of men and women and children, that they would be revived. This idea of reformation means to return back to the original. And it means the act of reforming or correction or amendment of life, manners, or of anything that has gone astray or corrupt. And so if we're going to see revival in our land, then it must begin with the Reformation in the Church of God amongst God's people. If we're going to see a revival in the land, then it must begin in the church. Ken Ham says this, It is my contention that for God to bring a revival to the church, there needs to be a new Reformation. Reformation is a call of the church back to honoring the absolute authority of the word of God. He goes on to say, we need a new reformation today, a reformation where God's people are and particularly Christian leaders repent of compromising God's word. Elsewhere, he says this, I am reminded of the words of the prophet Jeremiah addressing the people of his day. And he says this, but you have played the harlot with many lovers, yet return to me, says the Lord. This is Jeremiah 3.1. And in Zechariah 1.3 says also the words of the prophet Zechariah. Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you. And so this morning, each of us are to ask ourselves, are we drifting away from God? Have we drifted away from God? And if so, God says, return unto me, return unto me. And so what does revival and reformation look like as a church made up of individual Christians? Well, let's look at our text. Verse two, Paul says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Paul opens this section with a command. And this command is to be continually or persistently in prayer. He says, be devoted to prayer. This word is used eight times in the New Testament, five times. It's a direct reference to prayer. 
In Acts chapter 1, verse 14, the saints were devoting themselves to prayer. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, the saints were devoting themselves to the means of grace, one of which was prayer, as well as the word of God and the fellowship and communion. In chapter 6, verse 4, the saints devoted themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Romans chapter 12, verse 12, Paul calls the saints to be consistent or be devoted to prayer. And here in Colossians 2, verse 4, excuse me, chapter 4, verse 2, Paul says, being continually steadfast in prayer. And so the command to be devoted to prayer is not a one-time act, but it's an ongoing act of obedience for God's people. And as we know, there are different types of prayer. There are prayers of um, adornment to God, where we adore his name. There are prayers of confession. There's prayers of thanksgiving. There's prayers of supplication. And there's prayers of intercession. And, and, and there's, there's a fitting time for all these different ways or methods of prayer that we have to have in our tool belt as Christians. And so this devotion to ongoing prayer is one that is often marked by a struggle or agonizing, agonizing. And this is what we call intercessory prayer. Paul referenced this in chapter four of Colossians. If you look at verse 12, he says this of Epaphras. He says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always struggling the word agonizing or struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you and this is the purpose may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God and so there's, a, there's an agonizing in prayer for the sanctification of God's people as Jesus taught his disciples in Luke 18 we are always to pray and not lose heart. When you pray and you don't see the results, don't lose heart. Don't be discouraged. Do what God called you to do. Keep praying. And so as they continually prayed, they are also, as we see in our text, to be watchful. They're to be watchful in their prayers with a spirit or an attitude of thanksgiving. Now, notice the connection between prayer and thanksgiving. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful with thanksgiving. And so prayer, watchfulness, and thanksgiving. As created beings, God desires us to remember that we are dependent on him. We are not independent, but we are dependent on God. And as people who are dependent on him, we understand that our thankfulness is an acknowledgement that he is the giver of all things. That's what it is. It's a, a sense of humility. One, when you pray, it's an, act, it's an act of humility before God and saying, God, I need you. And then it's a, 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 a picture of reverence and adoration. God, thank you for your goodness. And so prayer is a dependency on God and thanksgiving is an acknowledgement of his provision. So prayer is a uh, dependency on God. God, I need you. And thanksgiving is an acknowledgement of his provision. Thank you, God. And so how do we pray for revival? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait. I'll show you 
why I'm saying revival. But how do we pray for revival? Well, if Paul is saying, in essence, we should be praying for revival, if that's the case, how do we do it? Well, we, we do so by praying consistently. Right? And, and we do so by being watchful with the heart of thanksgiving. And we pray with dependence and expectation. Brothers and sisters, lest we forget, and I know we, 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 we could amen this, when we pray, we're not praying to a statue. We're not praying to a God who's in the sky and busy doing other things. We're praying to the sovereign, almighty, king of kings and lord of lords who is alive, who rules and reigns even now, that to the degree that even those who are in leadership can do nothing apart from his sovereign permission. So that's the one we're praying to. And so when we pray, we acknowledge our dependence on God and we pray with expectation because we're praying to the living God who answers prayers. And so we know with expectation that God desires to spread his fame. And so our prayers need to be biblical, not selfish. And so we are people who are dependent on God in prayer and on the prayers of others. Not only should you be praying to God as an, as an individual Christian, but now as a Christian, you're actually not an individual. You're a part of a body. There's this corporate aspect of prayer as well. And so we pray individually as Christians, but we also need the prayers of one another corporately as a body of Christ. And so prayer is vital. So we're to be watchful, we're to be prayerful, and we're to be thankful. And notice his connection between watchfulness and thankfulness. How can we be thankful of God's provision if we've not been watchful? The two go hand in hand. You, you thank God as a result of what you brought before him in prayer. And so there's this attentiveness, this paying attention, this being aware that is vital even for us in our day. As Christians, we need to be aware of God's work in our lives and in the lives of others. We need to be watchful and thankful. And Paul learned this concept from Christ himself. You remember in Matthew 26, Jesus tells the disciples what? Watch and pray. Watch and pray. He says this, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. As Jesus is praying in the garden, Jesus says, as you're praying, watch, pay attention. If you're not guarding yourselves, right, then, then, then you're prone to wander. You're prone to deny me. You're prone to forsake me. You're prone to forget. And so watching and praying go hand in hand. If you're not watching and praying, you will be led astray. And brothers and sisters, we need to hear this word in our day. We need to be watching and praying, trusting the sovereign God who rules all things. If you're not watching and praying, you will be led astray. If you're not watching your soul, you will find yourself drifting into apathy. If you're not watching and praying for your families, for your children, for your wives, for your husbands, then they will become callous to the things of the Lord. We watch and pray. We're diligent. We're not people who are sleeping. We are people who are awake. And we people who work because it is daylight. 
And so we work for the glory of God. As we watch, we pray. <clears throat> First Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul says the same thing in a different way. He says, rejoice. This is verse 16 and following. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So if you want to know God's will for your life, start off by receiving the clear word that he's given us here. First, to rejoice always. That's the will of God. Secondly, to pray without ceasing. That's the will of God. And thirdly, to give thanks in all circumstances. That's the will of God. And there's something about obeying the will of God and the little things that tends to clear up things in the bigger moments. And so... We rejoice always. As Christians, we need to be characterized by thankfulness. Don't be overwhelmed by what you see or hear. Instead, be thankful. Brothers and sisters, we can turn on the news. We can hear stories and we can say to people, there's giants in the land. There's no way. But we're not watching and praying. We're not believing who we serve. And so we must go back to his word. Are things bad in our country? Yep. Are they going to get worse? Most likely. So what do we do? Do we bury our head in the sand? Do we run? Do we hide? Do we wish it away? No. But you know what we do? We trust God. Because we stand on a solid rock. And nothing, nothing will ever happen to any of us lest God permit it to be the case. You name it, nothing, nothing. I used to love to apply that truth in evangelism. I'm 5'6", some say 5'5", five five, depending on what kind of boots I have on. And I'm evangelizing or talking to someone about the Lord and typically everyone's taller than me with the exception of women unless, you know, there's there's that, right? Um, and I'm always looking up into someone's eyes. And I'll never forget, I'm in the city looking up to this guy. He's taller than me. He's bigger than me. stronger than me. And I'm saying, sir, if you don't repent and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to go to hell. And I'm thinking to myself, God, he won't do anything to me that you don't permit to happen to me. So please don't permit him to punch me in the face. And by God's grace, he didn't. Right? But brothers and sisters, we can take holy risks for God. Not foolish, right? And that's what Satan wants to believe us to do, right? Jesus, if you are the son of God, then jump off the temple. The angels will catch you. That's what God's word says. So we can take holy risks because God is sovereign over all things. He is Lord of all. And so we're called to be a thankful people, a prayerful people, a rejoicing people, not in some circumstances, but in all circumstances. This is the will of God for us in Christ Jesus. And so in all our praying and watchfulness, we rejoice with the heart of thanksgiving because we know we serve a sovereign God who is Lord over all. And as we see turmoil in the world, in Ukraine and Russia and you name it, even in our own land, you see things, you hear things, we give it to God in prayer. But what do we tend to do? We tend to fret. We tend to fear. 
We tend to look to self. We tend to hear the words of modern day prophets, whether it be politicians or people who know better because they've read more articles than us, and we drift away from what God said. And so we need to go back. Go back to the foundations of who God is. And that doesn't mean we don't work, but we work from faith, not from fear. And so in our praying and watchfulness, we rejoice. And so what is our calling before the Lord? Look at verses six and seven of Colossians chapter two. Therefore, Paul said to the saints here, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. And we are to, Paul says, be rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And so Christians, we should be the most thankful people on earth because we know the end of the story. And knowing the end of the story does not mean we have no responsibilities. No, in fact, it's the opposite. It's because we know the end of the story that we know God is going to be glorified in everything. We know that our labor in the Lord is not in vain, and we know that God ordains the means to his ends. And so in light of these truths, the saints in Colossae were commanded to, first, be devoted to prayer, second, to be watchful while they, while they prayed, and thirdly, to be thankful in all things. Does that characterize your life? Does that characterize my life? Does that characterize our life together as a church? I pray so. And that's, a, that's an opportunity for us to examine ourselves. Well, secondly, not only are we as believers to be prayerful and watchful and thankful in all these matters, but notice what Paul says in verse 3. We have a partnership with Others And in this case, the saints at Colossae had a partnership with Paul. Notice verse 3. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on which I am in prison. I am in prison. And so we have this partnership, as it were, with others who are on the front lines, as it were. There's a dear brother that many of you know who stands on the corners with the sign, Big Cross. Uh, his name is Jeff, good brother in the Lord. And I, I was with him the other day and I said, Jeff, I used to feel guilty about beeping the horn and saying praise the Lord to you while I'm on my way to Walmart and you're out there preaching the gospel. I just feel guilty about that. And then I said, it dawned on me that though I'm not able to right now in this season of life because I have children and a family that's young, whereas his are older and are out the house, although I'm not out there with you, I'm with you as I'm praying for you as we're making that left turn into the Walmart parking lot. And he says, Edwin, that's right. Don't ever feel guilty because you're not on the block with me, but pray with me. And brothers and sisters, guess what? When we come alongside others who are doing work, whether it be missional work or local work, sure, we can partner alongside with them in doing the work, but we can definitely partner with them in prayer. And that's what Paul says here. At the same time, 
while you're watching your life and you're praying and you're being thankful, at the same time, pray also for us. For us. Notice the Christian life is not just about you, Jesus, your Bible, and a cup of coffee. See, that's selfish Christianity. That's, that's current day evangelicalism. You put a nice little gloss on Instagram. It says, fear not, for God is with thee. You got your little Bible, but you, you, you're being defeated by sin. See, that's present-day Christianity. Brothers and sisters, there is a corporate call for us to partner with others, to come alongside others. It's not just about us as individuals. And so Paul says here, pray also for us. He uses the same language in Ephesians 6. This is where he talks about the armor of God. But notice in verse 18, he says this, praying at all times in the spirit. And the idea is um, with, with the power of the spirit or, or by way of the spirit of God, which is connected to the word of God and the truths of God. So, so praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Now, uh, this word supplication is this beseeching of God, this, this earnestness, right? This crying out to God. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication uh, for all the saints. And also, verse 19, for me, that words may be given to me to open to the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. And so one of the lessons that Paul is teaching the saints here at Colossae and that he wants us to learn as well is that they had a responsibility. They were co-laborers with Christ. They were partnering with Paul in the spreading of the gospel in their own lives. Yes, but also as they participated with Paul in prayer. And so Paul is the one who's in prison for preaching this mystery of Christ. But they have the responsibility of participating with Paul in prayer. And for these new believers, Paul's command for them was to be steadfast in prayer. And Paul intensifies their responsibility by calling them to pray with him as his workers as well. He said, when I don't know much, I'm a new believer. What can I do? Brothers, guess what? These saints at Colossae were new believers as well. And they didn't know a lot either. But you know what they did know? No. You know what they did know? They knew what Paul said to them about Christ. And that's exactly what we have etched in the words of God in Scripture. We know Christ. We know truth. And so we have Christ that goes before us. And Paul tells these new saints, I need your help. Pray for me. And so what does this look like practically? Though you are not on the mission field, Though you are not on the street corners, by virtue of your prayers for those who are, you are there with them by faith in Christ, praying alongside of them. Remember who's making this request. It is Paul. If there is anyone who didn't need prayer, it would have been Paul. Right? 
Paul's been there, done that. He's in prison for proclaiming the mystery of the gospel. And yet Paul knew that he needed, first, the help of God, and second, the prayers of the saints. He was a man that was dependent on the prayers of the saints. And so, brothers and sisters, we as a church have been given a mission. That mission is to proclaim the Lordship of Christ in every area of our lives. That's it. I know we're paying money for a missionary to be in Thailand. I get it. And that's important. And we're called to do that as well. But let that not absolve us from our responsibility as missions in our schools, in our homes, in Randolph, in our boards, etc., etc. You are Christ's representative where he has you. You are his missionary where he has you. You are his spokesman where he has you. And yes, that matters in words, but it also matters in life. Our lives need to be consistent with the message that we proclaim. And so ultimately, this mission is to bring glory to God. Remember in chapter 1, verse 3, Paul begins this letter by telling the saints that he thanked God for their faith and the love that they had for all the saints. And he wanted to know, he wanted them to know that he was praying for them. And now as we come to the end of the letter, Paul is saying, I need you to pray with me and for me. And so Paul now is calling these disciples to partner with him as co-laborers in a ministry and fellowship of prayer. And Paul understood that if the word of God was going to reach a people, it was only going to come to pass by the working of God by means of prayers of the saints. I want you to think about that, brothers and sisters. Notice what Paul says here. That God may open a door for the word. That's revival. That's revival. What if God did open the door in your life for you to reach that person that you feel is impossible to be reached? There's an awakening. But we need to be reformed as God's people. There's a reformation in these things. Why? Because we need to see these opportunities. We miss them. We don't think in these ways. And so here, Paul was speaking figuratively of an opportunity for ministry. God, I don't want to miss the opportunity to minister your word. I spoke to a man recently, said to him, he's in the church. He's a Christian. This is what he told me. And I said, and I felt, you know, you, you're talking to someone and you're like, mm, maybe not. Let's see. Hey, let's just see. I don't want to be judgmental, but I want to have, you know, let's see where this goes. I said, sir, I said, I said brother, you know, assuming that you're right, you're a Christian, brother, what's the gospel? If I, if I don't know Christ and, and, and I'm walking up to you and I say, what's the gospel? And hear me, I'm, I'm not trying to be arrogant or prideful. Please hear me. This is what the man told me. No one's ever asked me that question before. I'm thinking to myself, hold on. You're a disciple of Christ and you've never been asked what it means to follow Christ. I asked him what the gospel was. He says, I don't know. So how, how'd you get saved? How were, how were your sins forgiven? And, and, I, and the only reason I bring reference to that, that, that story is because I miss that often because I've got an agenda 
And something in me said, man, I, as I was praying, as I was paying attention to the circle, I said, man, I want to have a conversation with that guy. And I just want to talk with him. And as I'm talking with him, I'm sharing the gospel with someone who's in children's ministry at his church. And so brothers and sisters, there are people out there who say they know God, but they don't know God. And we need to be ready and prepared and praying for open doors to speak the word of God. And maybe you can't speak like Moses, you stutter, or you don't, you're not able to communicate as clearly as you ought to. We can all pray, brothers and sisters. We can all pray. And so may we be a prayerful people in a prayerful church, always praying for opportunity, always seeking opportunity, always being sensitive, dare I say, to the Spirit of God. We don't got to be afraid of those words. Hey, you, 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 you're in Walmart and getting your ice cream and your pizza and the Spirit of God puts it on your heart. I want you to go minister to that person over there. Now, you, you may not believe that, right? You may not hear those words from heaven open up, but there's something in you that says, man, there's this urgency where I really got to call this person and just, and just stir the conversation so that it's about Christ and see what, 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 why is this happening. And so brothers and sisters, may we pray for opportunity for the door, for the door to open for opportunity to minister to people. May we pay attention. May we see that there are people out there who do not know Christ. And so Paul is praying for clarity of speech when it comes to the proclamation of the gospel. Paul is praying that the Spirit of God would open a door for the Word of God to go forward. And so by way of application, what does this look like? In our efforts, we should be a people that are marked by prayer. Our prayer is to be ongoing, and we are to be watchful as we pray, giving God thanks as we do so. Just praying, people, praying. We're called to bear the weight of others as we bring them before the throne of grace. Bring them before the throne of grace. I've gotten into a new habit. Pray for me. When I wake up in the morning, I turn my phone on, see if there's any messages, see if anyone responded to my, you know, whatever. And, 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 and so the new habit is this. No, Edwin, don't touch your phone. And then the first words are, thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. And then by faith, I put the phone in my pocket, go in the kitchen, make my coffee, set the phone down on the counter, take a shower, make my coffee, go downstairs and study, and then look at my phone. So I'm getting better. Pray for me. But the point is this, brothers and sisters. We give God the first fruits of our prayer, of our worship, of our time with him. And when we do so, God will grow us and strengthen us. But there's so many distractions. There's things that keep us from hearing God speak to us through his word and in our spirit. So as Christians, we should be devoted to prayer, praying for one another, praying that God would open a door for the word of God to go forward. Brothers and sisters, we should be praying for that in Randolph. It's not enough, brothers and sisters. Hear me, hear me. It's not enough that our neighbors are conservative. We need Christians. I didn't get no amens. I didn't get no amens. Do you believe it? Conservatives 
doesn't mean Christian in and of itself. And I say that, you know why? Because Randolph is very conservative and that's a blessing and that's good. And we should pray for that. But brothers and sisters, lest we make the mistake and think because someone votes the right way that they're on their way to the right place. It's not the case. It's not the case. Sure, we can use that as an entryway to have good conversations, but then the conversation needs to turn. Say, we agree on a lot, but do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? You see, that's what it's about. Heavenward, eyes fixed on the eternal. That's what it's about, brothers and sisters. And I say that on purpose because I want to challenge each of us because I have the same tensions in me. There are people that I agree with on all sorts of things. And for one reason or another, I'm afraid to have that talk. It's easy for us to post memes and text messages and jokes and all those things. And we can miss out on the greatest thing, which is the proclaiming of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what matters, brothers and sisters. Now, don't mishear me. I feel like I have to nuance this. Don't mishear me. Politics matter because Jesus is Lord over politics. But brothers and sisters, we can miss opportunities because of the things that we agree with. And we need to point people to Christ. So we need to pray for open doors in our homes, in our church, in our community. We need to be prepared to minister the word of the gospel. And I'll close with this. Should we pray for revival? We must. We must pray for revival. We must pray as we read this morning in the Psalms, Lord, revive me. Edwin, revive. Edwin, why are you cast on on my soul? Look to Christ. We need that refreshing. And brothers and sisters, if we are revived, our churches will be packed because those of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ hunger and thirst to be around God's people and to proclaim God's word. So yes, we must. And how do we do this? We start off with prayer, first by confessing our sins before the Lord. Secondly, we ask him to make his name great as we proclaim his message. So with the closing words of Hudson Taylor, in every great work of God, there are three stages. It is impossible. Maybe today you're here and you're saying, it's impossible. Whatever sin, if that's the case, you may be involved in. Those of you who are watching, you feel, I can never be broken free from this sin that's holding me back from greater intimacy with the Lord. It's impossible. No, it's not if you're in Christ. You have the Spirit of God. So what seems to be impossible is very difficult. There's this agonizing. There's this weeping. There's this dependency on Christ. God, if you don't do it, I'm done. In me first. God, if you don't do this in my neighbors, I'm done. They're done. So it's impossible. It's difficult. But by faith, if we kept pressing in and trusting God with the results, we come to a point where we say, look at what he did. It's done. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer as we prepare for communion. And this morning, instead of playing um, music while we're giving communion, let's refrain from that. And this morning, we're just going to, we're just going to have silence as we prepare 
for communion. And we're going to examine our hearts before the Lord, each of us, and ask God to apply this word to our hearts and help us to do what he's calling us to do. That silence will be broken when I stand up in front and ask those who have been chosen to give communion to come up. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and let's ask for his help this morning.